0: wellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives download the app today
1: you're listening to wellness women radio with women's health experts dr ashley bond the pregnancy and birthing guru and the queen of hormone imbalances the period whisperer herself dr andrea huddleston they're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life now to the show.
0: This episode of Wellness Moon Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I tricked Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can, trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families and express box if you're really short on time, as well as a vegan box too. Now we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box, and that is WWR for Wellness Movement Radio. Um, so we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show.
1: Hey there gorgeous listeners, thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea.
0: And please make sure that you are following us on all of our social media, um, you know, handles, which is The Wellness Women Official on Instagram, The Wellness Women on Facebook, Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. I am DrAndrea.xo on Instagram and The Period Whisperer on Facebook. I got that out in one breath. That was big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and done well done thank you um i am surprised that i was able to do that at this time of night on a friday night so just a little insight into our lives ash and i have both had a pretty big day in our practice with you know our patients and we're recording at 8 30 on friday night ash is about to go over to sydney with her family for 10 days it really makes us sound
1: like we have no life, though.
0: <laughs> While well, we're doing this on a Friday night, well, Friday night's a school night for me because I see
1: patients on a Saturday morning anyway. It's fair enough. I can um, uh, can imagine we we both go to bed early anyway, so it's not really a, a party night, regardless, is it? But uh, I kind of, you know. I kind of wish it was sometimes, but like, oh, this is mum life, and that's kind of how we got into this topic today, isn't it? Uh, what triggered mm-hmm. our conversation today? Because, ladies, tonight uh, we're going to be talking, or today, tonight, wherever we are, uh, we're going to be talking about postpartum thyroiditis. So, we kind of got into this topic through uh, a conversation with Andrea, uh, sort of when we have a chat about, oh, how was your week? What what's been happening? And you know, what came up for you? Um, and
0: we always compare patient notes, and we talk about interesting, um, you know, things that, that we. S- are seeing um, maybe that's new, that's popped up, and a lot of that often inspires podcast episodes anyway. Um, but what we've actually been seeing a lot of and in far too frequent um you know, presentation, is that of postpartum thyroiditis. And essentially this is a autoimmune thyroid dysfunction that happens in that postpartum period. Um, And it's actually a lot more common than, um, you know, a lot of women are sort of uh, given information about. And it's something that I believe that all women should be screened screened for fairly thoroughly throughout their pregnancy and even ideally looking at any kind of risk factors Pre um, during the preconception phase anyway um, because that is definitely going to affect, um, you know, not only their um, ability to conceive and their fertility potential, um, but also what that postpartum period might be like for them. Because if their thyroid um, is struggling in the postpartum time, which is already challenging enough for women as it is, then this just adds another layer of complexity uh, that we have to... Sort of address that can have pretty significant impacts on a woman who has a newborn baby and a thyroid that's struggling.
1: Absolutely. And I think a lot of women aren't aware of postpartum thyroiditis. And that's quite similar because a lot of the symptoms uh, or signs of it are pretty much like mum life, you know, newborn yeah. mum life. When someone says, oh, yeah, the hair falling out. Oh, yeah, that, that happens. And oh, my God, the sleep disruption, the insomnia I'm getting is awful. Oh, that's newborn. So there's just so many of those different things. Oh, I'm really anxious all the time. First time mum, you know, third time mum. No wonder mm. I'm not surprised. Like there's a lot of the symptoms or the signs that actually get dismissed amongst the chaos that is um, the postpartum period. So I tend to find a lot of them will be overlooked or they won't even think to check this or they won't, you know, chat to a doctor. They'll just keep persisting and prevailing through these symptoms because they're not even aware that actually it's a condition, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. change in their body. Um, so it's probably, you know, as you were saying, one of the most important things is to get tested. And I think a lot of women don't do that postpartum blood assessment and a lot of, you know, health professionals are not actually testing the right things. So, for some Same women, point. they might say, Oh, I got my postpartum bloods done, everything's fine. I just needed to be a b- bit more iron or something like this. And it's mm-hmm. like, ah, that's interesting. Um, but all their symptoms are sort of categorically fitting in the picture of um, postpartum thyroiditis. And and how does that present, Andrew? Because obviously, you know, there's a couple of different types that mm-hmm. can look a few different ways. And it can have sort of a little bit of a complex h- progression as well, which makes it confusing because it can look one thing and then another thing. And it often gets missed. And
0: I think that that's why it's so confusing, Ashby, because because you're already dealing with the normal struggles of being, um, you know, mum with a, a young baby and it, there, there's a relative amount of normality that we would consider to some postpartum hair loss, for example, some mm. changes in bowel habits, certainly changes in moods and energy levels. Um, but it's when it um, sort of crosses that line and there's some other kind of warning signs that come up. So this would be – these are the sort of things that I look for in my patients – Um, that sort of rings some alarm bells as to, okay, we need to check things a little bit further here. One is milk supply issues. And this is something that um, I think is really poorly um, understood, particularly in you know mainstream medicine. They'll say that you know your thyroid function has nothing to do with your milk supply, but that's absolutely not true. Um, And it's one of the things that we always check when there is supply issues um, that we've ruled out everything else. So um, you know we've made sure that it's not from anything else that mum's doing. All the hormones and everything are all completely fine. She's eating enough. She's doing all the other things to help improve her her milk supply. We might even be using products that are um, traditional like galactagogues to make her um, or to help her with that milk production. If we've checked baby, baby's latch and everything is absolutely fine. There's no um, other factors that we can put that down to. And yet still, she's struggling. Um, And if it's not a result of, um, you know, if her iron levels and everything are completely fine, then we need to dig into what her thyroid is doing. So that is actually a warning sign for me if we've got those milk supply issues. And then it is this fluctuation fluctuation of, and particularly in the early stages of that um, sort of postpartum thyroiditis presentation, they'll go through like a hyperthyroid um, sort of, I call it a thyroid storm where they go into this hyperthyroid sort of presentation and then they go the opposite and they go hypo. And when a woman is hyperthyroid or they're in this initial stages of it, um, this is where everything speeds up. So she might be anxious, she might be sweaty, um she might have some weight loss all of a sudden as well which um You know, a lot of women are pretty happy with um, in that postpartum period, but when it happens rapidly and suddenly, um, we need to sort of pay attention to that. Um, And any kind of uh, postpartum weight loss, we want to do in a really gentle sort of controlled way as well. Um, So what are the other symptoms of hyperthyroidism? So it certainly could be the hair loss, the sweaty palms, the, you know, it could be night sweats, it could be diarrhea, um, palpitations, Um, and all sorts of mood changes, but anxiety is a big one. So for women who don't typically have, you know, aren't typically anxious and this is all presenting, then that's going to ring some alarm bells for me. And then from there, the thyroid does the opposite. Um, And then we move into this hypothyroid state. Um, And the reason why that happens is because um, the irritability of the thyroid that happens during the hyper stage when everything is happening too quickly and moving too fast, then it's almost like it kind of burns the system out. And then we get that opposite presentation where women will be absolutely exhausted. Um, They may be presenting with just fatigue beyond what we would consider to be normal in that postpartum period and it's so subjective which is why it makes it really really difficult uh, but they may also be presenting with things like dry skin dry skin impaired concentration which is also challenging based on um, their energy levels as well um, they might have cold intolerance or they can't regulate their own body temperature they might be getting some sort of paresthesias as well so numbness and tingling in their limbs um, i will normally check uh, um, deep tendon with the like reflex hammer for um, when a patient is in a hypothyroid state because we get this sort of like delayed reflex, um, which is just something that we use as like a clinical warning sign as well. Um, They might also be presenting then suddenly with things like constipation. um, And again, it can still go on with mood changes, hair loss and other things along the lines as well. So we go initially into the hyper and then the hypo state, And it just depends when this is clinically uh, picked up as to what stage they might be presenting with at that time does that make sense so
1: far ash oh fantastic and i think you know we're not talking about just uh, random women here and there you're looking at up to 10 percent of women so it can it's something that's routinely missed and I think mm-hmm. for you know us when we have these conversations um, they all often describe this as triphasic which is why it's so easy to miss because of those phases occurring you know sort of one to six postpartum and um, you know one to six months it's a kind of a very general window isn't it mm-hmm. it's not like you can put a finger on it and it's often um, sort of slow and in the sense that because of that timeline it makes it a little difficult so being aware of all those symptoms you've just described can help women start to put together a bit of a clinical package themselves, you know, mm-hmm. like tick the boxes and go. Oh, hang on, actually, you know, I've got four out of six of those things right now. Maybe I need to get checked. And I, I, think that's the conversation we need to have. Is if you haven't been talking about this, if women around you don't know about this, if you notice your friends struggling a bit and making some complaints or comments about certain things, um, maybe this is a conversation you can have and say, "Hey, I was, you know, listening to this podcast and I'm talking about postpartum hypothyroidism. And um, have you have you heard about that?" And for a lot of women, they'll just be like, "No, <laughs> it's not a common conversation." Mm. I find it even mum circles and I'm right in the thick of those circles and I I find it interesting that um, very few women actually know about this so really that's what this podcast is tonight is about is even just to bring it to your attention um, to ask that question should I be tested gosh I've never never had my thyroid tested Um, maybe it's a good idea to do that because there are implications of this aren't there you know there is there can be chronic damage to the thyroid if this is goes unchecked, if there's not correct management, um, a lot of it's self-limiting, self-resolving. But for those women who it's not, it can create sort of a lifetime change um, mm. for them. So it is important not to miss it. Uh, it is important to take some some action for that. And there are some clinical sort of pre-existing conditions that can put you at an increased risk. So, Andrew, run us through some of those things that um, sort of put us at increased risk of mm. um, PPT.
0: Um, So some warning signs for this would be, in my opinion, other autoimmune conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, In particular, there seems to be an association with a history of um, type 1 diabetes. For some reason that sort of predisposes women to the postpartum thyroiditis. There's also a much increased risk if there's a family history of thyroid dysfunction too. But if any time in their history they've ever had elevated thyroid antibodies, this is something to watch for. Um, Mm. And I do think that it should be tested routinely um, in women in part of a postpartum um, you know general screen but it's definitely not something that is done. Um, I like to look into this for again any of my patients who have any kind of predisposition to a um, autoimmune condition but also if there's been any thyroid changes pre or during pregnancy, So as part of a routine prenatal check, usually women will have their TSH tested, so their thyroid-stimulating hormone, which, um, you know, if uh, those of you who are listening who have listened to any of our um, other podcasts on understanding thyroid hormones or um, the ones we've done on Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, you'll understand that thyroid-stimulating hormone is not actually produced. It's not a hormone that is governed by the actual thyroid gland. So it's produced by the pituitary gland in response to how much um, T4 and T3 are produced within the system. So how much can be detected in our body? And the pituitary gland will then regulate the thyroid stimulating hormone in response to that. So if it detects that there's lower levels of T4 and T3, then it will increase the production of TSH. So our TSH increases, which then actually slows down our thyroid function, which puts us into a hypothyroid state. So The thyroid and understanding it's, um, you know, biochemistry and and everything is actually super complicated, but it's a very normal consequence during the first trimester for uh, women to go through a relative state of hypothyroidism because um in that first trimester um the bub will be reliant exclusively on the mum's thyroid gland for its own thyroid hormone production but then in that transition into the second trimester or, or around you know somewhere sort of from 12 weeks onwards then the developing bub has got its own fully functional thyroid gland. So then it doesn't require mum's thyroid hormones um, to regulate its own, which I think is just so fascinating that it has this teeny tiny little fully functioning thyroid gland at around 12 weeks. Um, So we should see at that stage women's thyroid glands re-establishing some sort of normality. But what tends to happen is um, in that first trimester, if um, depending on the stage at which they're... um, Um, you know, first trimester blood tests are done, if that TSH does go up a little bit beyond what, um, you know, would be a normal reference range, everyone freaks out and puts them on thyroxine which is obviously um a hormone replacement therapy um that women uh you know essentially are expected to stay on through their whole pregnancy but sometimes they might take them off in the postpartum period sometimes too soon um or in a way that is you know destructive for their system or they're just told to stay on you know their thyroxine for the rest of their life essentially and i've lost count of how many women will come in who are taking thyroxine they don't even remember why they're taking it but they knew they know that they'll put on it during their first trimester so sometimes Sometimes during that time we watch and wait and just make sure that those levels don't go too crazy because normally they will completely re-regulate in that first trimester.
1: It's just fascinating because it's it's frequent. It's really, really common mm. when they say, oh, you know, it's um, thyroid hormones are low and yeah, like you said, everyone freaks out. And I think y- you've said what what I do I say, well, look, it's really interesting because the thyroid hormone is the only hormone not made by placenta. So, you know, like just hold on because your yep. body's going to have to <clears throat> enlarge the thyroid. It's a it's a natural response to mm-hmm. the stress it's under right now. Um, so let's just see which way it goes. And majority, like you said, will re-regulate and adapt once baby's thyroid function kicks in. So it's just really, really clever. It's almost like people just ignoring biology lesson 101 one on mm-hmm. the thyroid thyroid. thyroid gland when you actually start to medicate or or introduce change before you've had a chance to see whether that regulates. So, um, yeah, I just think that's really cool. I know it's fascinating, right? Um, The pudding never ceases to amaze me. Now, in saying
0: that, if there was um, even a subclinical hypothyroid state prior to conception, that is something that I would absolutely be actioning then and there. Now this doesn't necessarily mean jumping straight into the use of um, you know, synthetic thyroid hormones or thyroxine but we'd want to be working on supporting that thyroid function um, to be as healthy and as functional as possible before um, conception takes place and I'd absolutely be monitoring that very, very closely. So I do think that any of those potential changes do increase the risk of the postpartum thyroiditis. Um, obviously in that postpartum period and particularly if women are playing around with their thyroxine dose or um, maybe they're taking off their meds too soon or something along those lines that then puts a lot of stress on the body um, that can definitely increase the risk factors um, too but any kind of hints for some sort of change in the thyroid function even in the prenatal the preconception phase would make me just want to be very careful of monitoring in postpartum Um, and I'd normally. try and check it at about six weeks. Um, and then if, um, everything's all fine, uh, or, you know, also if there are symptoms that tend to pop up, then you definitely want to be doing testing by 12 weeks because usually you'll see, um, some sort of changes within that first sort of three months, um, postpartum. Um, but generally, um, if a woman is going to have it, it'll pop up sort of within that six month
1: window. Mm. And do you find that it's helpful sometimes for sort of six or 12-month follow-ups if there has been sort of a known risk factor?
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm. And um, usually they say that postpartum thyroiditis will resolve itself um, in the 12 to 18 months um, following the either, um, you know, that postpartum period or that initial diagnosis. Mm. So there is this relative state of regulation, but I don't think that just happens miraculously. Um, and I do think that there is, um, you know, a, quite a high number of women. So, you know, it, there's usually statistically about 30% of the women who do have that initial diagnosis, we'll go on to have um, like hypothyroidism typically ongoing from that as well. So mm. it's worthwhile testing Checking, monitoring, and just making sure that it's addressed appropriately so that it doesn't become something that's ongoing. Because, um, you know, even just if we look at um, pregnancy and fertility, thyroid dysfunction is dramatically um, will dramatically affect fertility potential, Mm. not to mention lots of other things.
1: Yes, absolutely. So if we are concerned about this, or if we've had a test that shows that there are elements indicating that postpartum thyroiditis. We obviously know that the medical professionals will try to, you know, influence the thyroid function with any other number of measures. We always go a different direction. I think you and I both say the same thing. Like, let's let's look at the healing process first before we consider replacing, you know, thyroid hormones. So. What are your key recommendations? It's a bit like interviewing you today. I love it. I'm kind of I feel like I'm just like I am also gonna, you know, have my two cents, but I'm like, actually I just love hearing you talk about this. Um, <laughs> because you're always so, right. knowla- so knowledgeable. I really enjoy oh, having chats about it. Um so what are your key recommendations for women with um, you know, an indication for PPT?
0: Okay. So um first and foremost, we're gonna do proper testing to make sure we've got a proper um sort of understand. I don't even want to say diagnosis, but just mm-hmm. we know exactly what what's happening so then we can sort of treat that accordingly. Um, And first things first, and you know, it's almost like first principles. We're always going to look at ways to support um, just overall stress reduction. Now, I know that that might sound, um, uh, you know, almost patronising to a woman with a young bub who is not sleeping, but the first thing we've got to work on is, is there any way that we can support sleep? Um, Is there any way we can, you know, help mum to be A little bit more supported at home, anyway, any way we can take stress off her system. Because remember the thyroid is also a slave to your adrenal glands. So Ash, this is where I'm gonna throw it back to you and ask you what are your best tips for sleep for struggling mothers? And there may not be any answer to that, but do you have any ideas?
1: Honestly, no. Okay. You know, having yep. been through the roulette twice uh, with different sort of scenarios, different experiences, it's such an interesting thing to say um, there's a there's a tried and tested method. I think the key yeah. is just catching catching sleep when you can. Um, I know that with uh, my first pregnancy, you know, in the postpartum experience, it was really hard once it became quite adrenalized with a, a heavily broken sleep pattern. It was almost like I was just running and buzzing the whole time on that sort of mm. adrenal stress. And even when I wanted to sleep, I couldn't. And yep. it was this kind of... Um, a vicious cycle of being really like too sort of wide but tired but mm-hmm. unable to get the rest and recovery I needed. And um, I, I think my general, you know, recommendation to all new mums is just sleep when you can. And, that, yeah. and it really is that sort of simple in the sense that if you are able to even just power naps, you know, when your baby is sleeping, you're still catching, you know, valuable restorative sleep when it's really going to sort of start to add up for you. And it helps prevent you hit that cycle of that wide but tired, you you know, that really adrenalized sort of peaked, you know, over exhausted, but I can't go to sleep sensation that you get, which is almost like that insomnia, which of course then complicates it because, you know, thyroiditis on its own will create that effect regardless. So mm-hmm. it's, it can be really hard to know. Is it just because I'm, I'm so tired, I'm, I've got all this broken sleep, or is it because my hormones are out of kilter? Um, so that's one of the key things. And, I think for a lot of new mums as well, just, you know, when you're exhausted and when you're tired, we kind of seek distractions and I I find a lot of my new mums, if I, you know, ask them, they're on their phones in the middle of the night. You know, they're often mm. um, scrolling, reading, possibly reading, like, how do I sleep when I'm so tired? You know, just like, yeah. it's almost like that thing of going, a distraction strategy. So if I've got to be awake, I may as well be doing something. Um, so I do find a lot of mums will turn their phones on. Or I or I've, I remember one of my girlfriends receiving text messages at like weird hours, like 2 in the morning or 3.30 in the morning. She knew my phone would be off, you know, or on silent, but um, she'd still be sending me messages. And I'm like, why are you on your phone? oh I was just up feeding I was just up feeding my baby like that that thing of going I'm like yeah but why are you on your phone in the middle of the night so it's actually one of my hard and fast rules do not touch your phone Mm. in the middle of the night you know once you it's that join the 10 p.m club thing once you've gone to bed at 10 p.m even if you're tired even if you feel like you need distraction in the middle of the night do not go to tech don't put an ipad on don't put a phone on um you know keep those sacred hours between 10 and 6 and try Mm. and just down regulate that stress response you know in your nervous system so that'd be a key one for me and then of course you know breathing strategies just using breath work you know parasympathetic karmic breath to try and get your body and brain into a, a calm state um, and that might be covered with meditation as well because if you've done a bit of you know like birthing for example you can continue to use the rainbow relaxation after birth if you choose to um, obviously I hated hearing it again and again but it just, it just reminds you how effective it is so you yeah, go and find yourself another little um, guided meditation uh, audio that can help you so rather than turning you know a, a light source on just hit play on a on an audio and listen to a meditation rather than read something and stimulate your brain. Um, something that and obviously I can't speak from personal
0: experience here but something that works really well for a lot of my patients and often this is when there's only one bub in the picture so their first child I'm not sure how they'd manage it with more than one but um, we try to get mum to go to bed when she's and I know this sounds strange, but when she's tired and not wait for the second wind. And that might mean that she is going to bed at 7 30 at night and dad is doing um the bedtime, you know, routine with Bub. Um, and maybe Bub has a feed with mum, mum goes straight off to bed and then dad does the settling and that final sort of process. So mum might even get a few hours sleep before dad even goes to bed mm. um, and that needs to happen at that first real sign of um, sleep requirement and rather than waiting for the second wind where cortisol has to kick back in then it suppresses your melatonin production again and then you have to wait for all of that then to calm down those hormones to shift for melatonin to calm back in again if mm. you wait for your second wind and then trying to go to bed when you're in that state you're just going to be wide awake mm. so you've got to go to bed when the moment or the opportunity hits and have some sort of system for that now i can say that very flippantly and i don't know you know how easy that would be to to actually play out at home but it's just having an understanding of those hormones i think is good so sleep is absolutely um, you know first principle from there we always look at dietary things so um, whenever it comes to elevated um, thyroid antibodies like what we have with postpartum thyroiditis the first thing that has to be eliminated from the diet is gluten Always. Yes. And we've mm. done a specific episode dedicated to the gluten thyroid connection. So please go back and have a listen to that one so that you can understand the ins and outs of why we remove that and in all its forms. So not just wheat, but also, um, you know, barley, oats, rye, spelt, um, couscous, uh, what else, um, is gluten in, in forms of grains, um, ash?
1: I. Hey. But, I think I mean, that's just, a fairly I always just say good... the big ones are the obvious yeah. ones. And most people, when you just do a little search on gluten-containing um, grains, it's pretty quick mm-hmm. to see like, oh, tick, tick, or oh, hang on, I have that as well. Because oats can have, you know, gluten in them as well, mm-hmm. unless you're choosing the gluten-free option. So um, definitely, you know, reducing that stress on the thyroid um, through diet is, is imperative. And you've also got then, you know, along the same line, be thinking of, okay, what have I got to take away, but also what have I got to add in? Mm-hmm. So there's obviously things like um, thyroid cofactors and those uh, things like selenium, vitamin D, zinc, iron. These are all you know absolute essential requirements for proper thyroid physiology. So, mm. if we are deficient, you know, classic postpartum uh, depletion. You know, we're, we're dealing with some low iron state in that you know initial postpartum mm. phase. Then these can also be triggers for you know advanced um, changes in thyroid function. So, and Ash, I'm always a bit suspicious
0: that um, I wonder if the iron depletion that happens sort of in the later stage of the pregnancy and also potentially at birth as well is something that then can make women a little bit more susceptible to this but also women tend to as soon as bub arrives stop their prenatal mm-hmm. and that could have just been giving them some of those cofactors even in smaller doses but it usually does contain you know using selenium and iodine and your b complexes as well and often women are taking some sort of iron too which you know, in that postpartum period, probably all goes out the wayside um, mm-hmm. or, or out the window. So those are really, really critical, and we do know that in most of our soils, um, they're really deplete of iodine. So it's something that we keep a close eye on. But before supplementing with that, I'd probably want to do like a urine iodine test, just because if they've got elevated antibodies, we want to be really, really careful. Mm. Um, so um, you're absolutely right. All of those cofactors are critical. Um, I'd also look Look at things like vitamin A and vitamin E if need be, um, making sure they're taking a really good quality magnesium. And I like to use Chinese herbs to calm the immune system um, that will have almost like a um, – because we need to not only address – the regulation of the thyroid function, we need to make sure that your T4 can then convert into your T3 properly so it can actually be utilised by your all your peripheral tissues. So we obviously need adequate liver health for that as well. Um, we need vitamin D for that too. We need magnesium to help with vitamin D <laughs> and vice versa. Um, but then we also need to address calming the thyroid and the immunological response to that. So we need something that will also help to bring down the thyroid antibodies too so those important food eliminations are important and if gluten is not doing the job then we look at some of the other problematic things that could be in the diet like dairy products for some women eggs could be a trigger it could be other grains it could even be nightshade vegetables for example so before we put women into like a full autoimmune protocol type diet which would be really quite tricky to do you know, um, while they're trying to feed a newborn and everything else, um, we'd go for the big ticket items first in terms of elimination, which of course is the gluten. Um, and then and as
1: soon the- as you start talking about immune system as well, you're looking at gut function, aren't you? So yeah. for me, it's always you know simple postpartum approach is that idea of um, postpartum recovery, bone brothing, collagen, like all of those beautiful soothing healing, which not only has a great recovery on anyone who's ever been you know put through. Uh, a major trauma, whether it be birth or or whether it be a surgery or anything like that, I always sort of say like approach it the same way. See your body is now requiring the base points, the, the base building blocks for recovery. Let's help you recover really well. And a lot of that's actually geared towards really good gut function, which is interesting. So, you yeah, know, that whole gut immune um it, connection is paramount to helping with this autoimmune response and i'll always um, recommend supplementation with probiotics uh, to you know enhance that and if you can can heal things like that sort of leaky gut effect then uh that can have a a really positive impact on thyroiditis Um, and just you know calming down that
0: overreactive immune function as well Mm. which i think is Mm. really beneficial um Okay, so we've talked about uh, sleep, we've talked about food um women will often jump on the bandwagon of adding heaps and heaps of leafy greens um which is amazing but just make sure with the cruciferous vegetables that you're cooking them rather than having them raw um just because they can be a little bit of a goitrogen so um that would just be the caveat on that um we're adding in the thyroid cofactors like we've mentioned Um, we're adding in anti-inflammatory strategies like the bone broth the probiotics um, the food eliminations we're making sure we're consuming a lot Lots and lots of protein because that's essential for regulating thyroid function. Um, Good
1: quality fats, high omega-3s. Absolutely, threes. yeah. Um,
0: and so we've talked about that, that, that. I think that that covers it, Ash. Mm. Um, and then I would regularly monitor symptoms and lab tests just to make sure that we're responding and heading in the right direction and that mum is starting to feel better as well. And mm. that milk supply is improving and Bub's happy and well-fed.
1: Love it. So, ladies, that's a really good sort of run-through of postpartum thyroiditis. I think, you know, you're giving yourself lots of uh, strategies there. If you even take a couple of those, you're moving in the right direction. Um, obviously, it's, you know, key to test. So, if you haven't had any blood testing, if you haven't, uh, you know, Consider this as a cause for some of your symptoms then now's the time to go and do that so find yourself a good um, you know functional practitioner or you know a good gp who knows how to run these bloods and make sure that you're getting tested and then after that um, before considering the intervention with synthetic hormones consider some of the lifestyle strategies and just see if you can get your your thyroid function um, improving without any artificial you know addition and then you know if that's still something that's unchanging you've always got that there to use so I sort of always said to people like it's like use the the first tools first meaning mm-hmm. that don't go in there with a flamethrower if you could just use a match yes <laughs> it's like, absolutely it's like this idea of like you, you don't need to you know try and burn the house down you just need to you know start the fire or in this case calm the fire down with our great lifestyle strategies so um yeah first things first is my, my general approach to a lot of things when it comes to health is uh let's just start with the first things and mm-hmm. see what comes from that and then uh, and then retest so uh, Excellent. Is there any risk to waiting um, in your? Because that's always a question that people ask. Well, if mm. I if you wait, you know, could, could things get worse? Just just quickly cover that because I think it's an important one. To yeah,
0: um, I think that um, most of the medical management when it comes to um, postpartum thyroiditis is is essentially what they call expectant management. So they would sort of just wait and watch, um, and they normally would not intervene unless there's changes to the T4 and T3 hormones. Um, So even if the TSH goes through the roof and you've got, um, you know, antibodies in the thousands, then medical management for it doesn't usually come in unless the T4 really drops Mm. and in which case they would add in thyroxine. Um, That's normally sort of the protocol. So um, expectant management is something that is, um, you know, the most common treatment um, with some sort of thyroid hormone. So I would just watch, monitor, uh, try what you can first, like some of the things that we've talked about, but also um, I would be checking quite regularly.
1: Beautiful. All right, love Excellent. it. So nice, nice little one for all the uh, mamas to be or the the mamas who are. And uh, these are the things about women's health that we love talking about. So if you are listening and there's a topic you're curious about or haven't heard us talk about or you think that you know you, it's time for us to rehash something we've done in the past, shoot us a message. Let us know because we love uh, answering your questions. We really do enjoy doing this for you guys that are listening because uh, for us it's just. It's fun. It's learning. We're constantly upskilling anyway. So if we can add something into your, um, I guess, you know, little toolbox of tips and tricks for your general family health, then let us know.
0: Uh, so ladies, you've been listening to wellness women radio. We are the wellness women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. And until next week, oh, we're raising the bar for women's health as well, but until always, next week, always, always <laughs> until next week, be well.